church. Uh, Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah's son, Amittai. Go to the great city of Nevea and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Sashi. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bounded at that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tashif to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out, to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. May he, maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They came lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this terrible uh, troubled for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. This has terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because of because he had already sold them so the sea was getting rougher and rougher and so asked him what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us <clears throat> he picked me up <clears throat> and threw me into the sea he replied he will come he will become calm i know that it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you instead the men did not did their best to row back to land and they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before then they cried out to the lord please lord do not let us die for taking this man's life, do not hold us accountable for killing the uninnocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and in a raging sea grew calmer. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jonah prays, Now, Lord, 
provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Could have happily listened to the rest of that. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. So, Nixon said, I'm not allowed to mark your homework, so I'm not allowed to ask who actually read Jonah this week. Um, if you didn't actually watch the video, I forgive you, because I hate videos, I never watch them. So, it's fair enough. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll start. Thank you, God, for your word to us that we've heard this morning. And God, we want to hear it again now. So Lord, I pray that as I speak, that all of us would hear what you have to say to us through this story, through Jonah. God, I pray for everyone here, whatever's gone on before today, whether they've come in super stressed and distracted or super excited to hear about Jonah or they've wandered in off the street thinking this is still a cafe. Whatever the reason, God, I just pray that you would be with us now as we open our hearts and minds to your word. Amen. So who's this guy, Jonah? He's got a book named after him. Let's just uh, check what we know about Jonah. Now, Jonah actually is mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament. So we read about Jonah in 2 Kings 14, verses 25 to 26. And it's talking about the king at the start here. And it says, he was the one, this king, who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hepha. And the Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. So that's a little bit of background information on this guy Jonah. He was a prophet and he lived in the time of a king called Jeroboam II, who by the way was a pretty bad king, but almost all of them were, so no surprises there. He was a king of the northern kingdom. And that's where Jonah was a prophet. And a prophet is someone who hears from God, who God uses to speak, to speak things into action. And that's who Jonah was. God had seen the suffering of his people. And so he gave a message to Jonah. So that's what we know from the book of Kings. And if that's all we knew about Jonah, we might think, cool, good guy, prophet of God. Yep, brilliant. But now we've got this whole book about this guy, Jonah, and I think it tells us a lot more about him. I think there's a lot in here that we can learn from Jonah. I think we can learn about God. And I think we can see this pointing us to Jesus. So let's look through the story. Let's just walk through the story together, verse by verse. So verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And that's a really standard kind of prophetic formula. You know, when, when I was a child and my parents would read me bedtime stories, a lot of them would begin, once upon a time. And when you hear those words, once upon a time, you know what to expect. There's going to be this story and there'll be princesses and dragons and whatever. Well, a lot of the prophetic books in the Bible open with that kind of message. You know, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, came to Hosea, came to Micah, came to Zephaniah. Zechariah, Malachi, the word of the Lord came to them. And then in all of the other books of the prophets, we kind of get to read and, and understand what God said to that prophet and maybe a bit about what then happened. But Jonah's really different from those other books. 
It starts in that same way, but then it all goes really dark and really strange. Because the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, get up and go. Go to Nineveh, that great city. And that's the first of seven things in this little chapter that are called great. Go to that great city. Now, Nineveh was a great city in the sense of big, but it was also a city of an evil empire. They were famous for torturing prisoners. Um, there's no, the kids are gone, the youth are out as well. They would literally flay people alive, rip their skin off them while they were still living. They were absolutely brutal. You can go to the British Museum even now and you can see some of the images of the kinds of things they used to do. So that is the great city of Nineveh. that God is saying to Jonah, get up and go there because their wickedness has come up to God. God has seen and heard about this evil city and so he's going to send Jonah there. So God says, get up and Jonah gets up. But he goes the wrong way. He went to Tarshish. Now, we don't know exactly where that was, but it was probably, the best guess is that it was in Spain. It was definitely to the west of where Jonah was. So actually, it's probably around where Tony and Annie are this morning. So they've got up and gone to Tarshish. Um, So, you know, Jonah goes down to Joppa, goes down to the port and gets on a boat and goes there. And I just want to show you a little map so you can kind of get a sense of how much he went the wrong way. So Jonah's here. Gath Heifer. Nineveh is up here. Joppa's the wrong direction. And Tarshish is all the way over there, somewhere to the west, somewhere around Spain. So, you know, it's a bit like if the word of the Lord came to you and said, go to Washington and speak to the White House and declare to the empire this, that and the other. And so you, you get up and you get on a plane to Baghdad. It's the completely the wrong direction. God said, get up. And he got up, but he went the wrong way. And it says, it tells us exactly why. Because he wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. And remember, when we're reading the Old Testament, whenever you see Lord in capitals, that's, that's actually God's name. It's not just a title for him, but it's actually uh, like as a mark of a respect, they've replaced his name with that word. But if it's in capitals, it's his name. So he wants to get away from the presence of the Lord. And there's a bit of a puzzle in that. Because, you know, there's this evil empire, like renowned through the world for their brutality, their injustice. And God says, go and tell them about themselves. Now, I think many of us might be like, absolutely, I want to go and do that. I want to go tell it to the man. I want to go tell it to the empire. I'm going in the power of God. I'm going to be protected. Yeah. But Jonah doesn't want to go. God says, I've, I've seen their wickedness and I want you to go and tell them about their coming destruction and Jonah doesn't want to go. And I'm not going to spoil it. If you've read the whole of Jonah, you know why Jonah doesn't want to go. Because Jonah knows what God is like. He doesn't want to go and stick it to the empire. Why not? And he goes to get away from God's. Verse four, surprise, God's there as well. And God hurls a great wind on the sea and a massive storm comes up. And verse five tells us that the sailors are terrified. 
And I think it must have been a really big storm to terrify the sailors. Because there's, you know, the sea is big and the waves can get really massive. And people who aren't used to it can be terrified. And then you kind of look at the, the sailors and they're fine. It's a bit like if you're on a plane and there's turbulence. And then you look at like the staff and they're totally relaxed. Normally that's how it is. But these sailors are terrified. This is, this is a big storm. And what do they do in response to their fear? They cry out to their gods. And that's a really common reaction in fear. Even people who would say, I don't believe in gods, in moments of extreme fear, they start crying out to gods. And it's gods. Because each of them worships a different god. And in in that time and place, it was really common that there'd be like a, a god of this area, a god of that area, a god of this town, a god of that profession. So each of them is crying out to a different god to save them in desperation. And so they throw loads of stuff into the sea. They're trying to lighten the boat because if the boat's lighter, it can raise up a bit on the sea and then maybe these massive waves won't kind of engulf the decks. But it doesn't work. It's not enough. Where's Jonah? Jonah's asleep. <laughs> Jonah's asleep in the back of the boat while this crazy storm is going on, the storm that's terrifying the experienced sailors. Jonah's asleep. And it's a bit strange. I don't know if you've ever been through a really extreme crisis of mental health, but there can be a depression so great that it just sucks all the energy out of you. I don't think Jonah was sleeping like a baby with not a responsibility in the world. I think he was sleeping the sleep of deep depression. He had no hope. He knew what was going on and he just went to sleep. He couldn't do anything about it. So verse 6, the captain comes to wake him up. And again, another person, another one saying to Jonah, get up. You know, the Lord said, get up. Go over there. So Jonah got up and went over there. Now the captain's saying, get up. It's the same words. Get up, Jonah. That's the theme of this book. And he says, you pray too. You pray to your gods. Now Jonah does get up, but it doesn't say that he prayed. He doesn't join in with the rest of them crying out for help. And actually, one of the things I noticed as I I read this passage was how passive Jonah is throughout this whole story, throughout this whole book. Lots of people around him are kind of doing things and responding to the moment. And actually, Jonah just, he he runs away. (laughs) You know, he's told, get up and pray. And he kind of drags himself up, but he he doesn't pray. He doesn't do anything about it. And so the sailors draw lots. They want to know why this has happened. I think maybe they're starting to suspect it's something to do with this weird guy that's sleeping while the storm rages. So they draw lots and it's Jonah. They find out that this guy Jonah is responsible. And and I think this is actually really impressive. They don't immediately pile on him and chuck him into the sea. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where there's been like a mob reacting to something. Or when people are reacting in fear, actually it's, it's quite common that someone can become like a scapegoat and there can be a pile-on. But there's no pile-on here. They, they, I'm really impressed with these sailors, their humanity and compassion on Jonah. Instead of chucking him in the sea, they start questioning him. Who are you? What is your, what's your job? <laughs> what do you do? What, who's your God? 
this strange guy who's slept through the storm and hasn't prayed like they have. So he tells them who he is, where he's from. And this is a killer line for them in verse 9. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So, so Jonah's tried to get away from God, who he knows is the, the God of, of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And he's gone to sea. And obviously you can't escape from God by going to sea. You can't escape from him by going anywhere if he's the God of heaven. He's not just your local little dude. Do you see the problem there? Jonah's known all along who God is. It's not like a revelation that he's had just now. He knows who God is. But he still thinks there's somewhere he can go to get away from God. I was chatting with a friend this week about how sometimes we can know the truth. We know stuff, but it's like we don't, we don't live it. It doesn't somehow penetrate and, and become the centre of our actions. And, and Jonah knew who God was. He could say it even in, in a really intense situation where everyone's surrounding him and asking him questions and there's a storm. And even then he, he knew who God was, but it, you wouldn't have known that from his actions, would you? And so they see that the storm gets even worse. And still the sailors are really polite. They sort of ask, uh, what, what, what should we do to you? Well, you know, what do we do about this, this situation? And Jonah knows. Like I think, he, I think Jonah's known all along. As soon as that storm picked up, I think Jonah knew where this was headed. I think that's why he went to sleep. And so he tells them to chuck him in the sea. He might as well now because he, there's no escape. He's either going to drown with all of them or throw him in. He knows the storm's not going anywhere. And, and yet again, the sailors, with their compassion and their humanity, they don't want to be involved in a murder. So they row as hard as they can. They're desperately trying to get back to land. They, they want to save this guy who, quite frankly, has done nothing to earn their care. He's shown no concern for them at all. But they want to save him. And they try to get back to land. Remember that we find this story in, in the Hebrew scriptures. In a, in a book that is making the point that there's only one God to worship. And here we are being given a really good example from some pagan sailors who don't know that one God but they're much less selfish. They're actually more God-fearing than the king's top prophet who hears directly from God. And then these pagans, they do what Jonah didn't do. They cry out to the Lord. We're going to do this thing that he's told us to do because we, we don't know what else to do, but don't hold us responsible for this man's blood. We don't want to be held guilty. And so they throw Jonah overboard and the storm stops and if that was the end of the story it'd be a really gruesome terrifying story wouldn't it quite a few of my friends who are mums this week have told me how the story of Jonah is one of their kids favorite stories but I think if it ended there it probably wouldn't be one that we would generally put on the front of a children's bible you know God speaks to Jonah Jonah runs away Jonah gets thrown into the sea and drowns but that's not what happens is it this is where the sailors kind of leave the stage. They, they kind of bow out near the end of chapter one with 
a greater fear, a greater awe of God. They were afraid before, now they're even more afraid. They see that the storm has stopped instantly and that is completely not normal. Storms don't stop immediately. Storms kind of peter out. The wind dies down gradually. The waves take a lot longer to die down. Sometimes you can have mad waves and no wind because the waves are caused by the wind that was yesterday. But the storm stops. And then they're really afraid because then they know, they know that it was God that brought the storm and that it was because of Jonah. And they're terrified. And so they made a sacrifice. It might not be that interesting or important to us, but I think something that was really important to this writer was to tell us about this sacrifice so that we would know that Jonah wasn't the sacrifice. One of the things that really distinguished the religion of the Jews from their neighbours was that they never had human sacrifice. Jonah wasn't the sacrifice. The sailors made a sacrifice on the boat and it wasn't a human. And here comes the fish. The fish is like the star of the show in children's Bibles. But actually, in the actual book of Jonah, the fish is like a really minor character. It's not really about the fish. Here he is in verse 17. He's not a whale either. I don't know where that comes from. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God provided it. So the story doesn't just end with Jonah being chucked overboard and the storm stops and Jonah's dead. But God provides a fish, a really surreal way to be rescued from this situation. Now, when I was a kid, and maybe this is why kids love this story, because this bit is what I would obsess about. I'm a planner. You can ask my husband about the power sockets in Istanbul Airport if you want to know. But as a child, I was fascinated by this, and I would imagine what it would be like to be stuck inside this fish. I would try and work out, like, how would I survive? What would my daily routine be inside this fish? And, And most importantly, how would I get out of the fish? And yeah, the the fish is dramatic and it is really weird. The fish is a challenge to secularists who don't believe in miracles. But you know, so much in this story is a challenge to that worldview that doesn't believe in the supernatural. The story starts right at the start. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God spoke to a human. That's a miracle. That's supernatural. And then God causes a really great storm. Again, that is supernatural, that God sent a wind and that brought up this massive storm and then God stopped the storm instantly. There's, there's so much that's supernatural before we get to the fish. So, you know, let's not let the fish be the thing that we're like, oh, I can't accept that. I can deal with God speaking to people. I can deal with God sending storms and stopping storms, but I can't deal with a fish. But the fish is not the point. The fish is just the way out. You don't have to sort of think about how you'd make your bed on like the soft bit of its tongue and maybe hang your clothes up on a little bone in the stomach, make plankton salad out of the things the fish has swallowed. It's not important. What's important in this story is what we learn from Jonah, what we learn about God and how we read it as Christian people is something that points us to Jesus. And it's a great story. And by that, I do mean it's a good story, but it's also a great story because it repeatedly uses the word great. Everything in this story is big. Maybe that's why children love it as well. The city is great. 
The great wind causes a great storm. The sailors have great fear. And the fish is great. It's really big. And it would have to be, wouldn't it, for him to live in it for three days. So let's see now. We've gone through the story. Let's see what we can learn from this great big story. So what can we learn from Jonah? I think it's, it's really important whenever we're reading the Bible to remember that none of these human characters are heroes. <laughs> what do we learn from this guy? Well, he hears directly from God and he knows about God. He knows, it says in verse 9, that God is the God of heaven, the maker of the land and the sea. But none of that is enough. We might say that Jonah has gifting without the character. Yeah, he's a prophet, absolutely. But he doesn't have the character that should go with that. He's got the anointing without the obedience. And maybe you've met people like that. Jonah's selfish. Maybe we can just about understand, I certainly can understand, why he wouldn't want to go and preach to Nineveh, particularly in light of what God's actually going to do and what he knows about God's heart. But he shows no concern for the lives of these sailors that he knows he's put at risk until they force him to get up, until there's not really any other choice. And then in a kind of fatalistic way, he's like, well, throw me overboard. I'm, you know, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well die now. But he doesn't, there's no care. And, and the sailors are like the opposite. They're so compassionate. They, they're desperate not to hurt this man who is just incredibly selfish. He lived almost 3,000 years ago, but I can really relate to him. And, you know, it's a really short story. That's why I said this week, if you can, read the whole book, because it's not long, but so much happens in this little story. And, you know, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn more about Jonah's character. We're going to see this theme of his selfishness develop. We're going to see how he knows about God, but he doesn't want to obey God. And we're going to come to understand that so much more. But let's think about what we learn about God from this first chapter of Jonah. We learn that God hears. Verse 2 tells us he, 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 like the wickedness of Nineveh has come up to him. He knows about it. Injustice and evil don't escape his attention. In verse 14, the sailors, they cry out to him. He hears. The storm does stop for them. They are safe. God hears. God's not indifferent to human suffering. God's not indifferent to injustice. He sees and he hears. And God is all powerful. He started the storm and he stopped the storm. No magician can do that. With our science now, we can't do that. But God can do that. God could start a storm and God could stop it dead. And God is merciful. Again, I don't want to like spoil the ending of Jonah, but you know, this book is just full of God's mercy. That mercy, that undeserved care. That people who are evil get grace. That's part of the character of God and we see it throughout this book of Jonah as it unfolds. God's merciful to Jonah. You know, he, he doesn't want to do what God wants and he doesn't care about anyone else and he's gone completely the wrong way. But God still provides a fish. 
And I think we see in this book that we can't kind of have God's mercy for ourselves but withhold it from other people and that is the challenge, isn't it? So where's Jesus in Jonah? Where's Jonah in Jesus? I just want to finish now by getting us to think about how we read the Old Testament as Christians. Because these things that we're reading about today, all this happened before Jesus was even born. Is there anything in this that we can learn about Jesus? Well, firstly, we know that actually Jesus himself was really familiar with this story. So Matthew 12, uh, some annoying people are questioning him. So verse 38, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Spoiler alert. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus read these scriptures too. And Jesus used the story of Jonah as an example to talk about his own coming death and resurrection. God sent the fish as a way to rescue Jonah. Jesus was sent as a, as a means of rescue and mercy for all of us. And Jesus says something really provocative at the end. He says, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than a prophet who hears directly from God. Some people say that Jesus was a prophet, just a prophet. That's one of the teachings of Islam. But here, Jesus is saying that he's greater than a prophet. What's the proof? There's a lot of proof, but... Here's a story that might remind you of something you've heard today. And this story, actually, we find it in three of the Gospels because it was so important to the Gospel writers to capture what happens here. But I'm going to read it from Luke. Luke 8, 22 to 25. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Does this remind you of anything? There's a guy sleeping in a boat while a storm rages. The experienced sailors are terrified. The boat's in danger. And I, I think we're meant to think, Jonah. But this story ends so differently. Jesus got up. Do you remember how everyone was telling Jonah to get up? God says, Jonah, get up. The captain says, get up. But Jonah doesn't get up and do the things that these, these people, that God is asking him to do. But Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and the storm stopped dead. Remember that that doesn't happen. Storms don't just stop. But this one did because Jesus told it to. 
And, you know, just like the sailors in the story of Jonah, these sailors, these experienced fishermen, they are terrified. They respond in fear. I mean, yeah, they were scared of the storm, but it's even more scary now the storm has stopped. I think they've had a really similar emotional experience to the crew of Jonah's boat. The storm was the scariest thing they could think of until the storm stopped and then they encountered the living God. They realised the power that they're in contact with. Who is this, they ask. He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Remember what we learned about God from the story of Jonah? The all-powerful one who commands the winds and the waves, who starts the storm and stops the storm. And here's Jesus, stopping the storm, just with his words. This is a claim about his divinity. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than a prophet is here, and it's Jesus. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jonah ran from the mercy of God. He ran from the message of that mercy. He didn't want to get up and go, and take that message, take that call to the evil great city. So he slept in the boat while everyone else was in danger of drowning. He had the gift of prophecy, but not the character to go with it. And we're going to see more of that as this story goes on. But the great story of Jonah, it points us to the one who was to come, who is greater than Jonah. It shows us the divinity of Jesus who commands the wind and the waves. Sometimes when we have a sermon on the Sunday morning, it's, it's good to kind of end it with loads of practical ways that we can apply it. I mean, yeah, if you're in a storm, cry out to God. That's my practical take home for you. But I don't think that this is necessarily one of those where we're going to have like a 10-step plan now for how we live this out. I think actually that this story is one that speaks more to our knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he's like because it's so important that we have that. But it also shows us that that knowledge in itself it is of limited value if we don't actually live it out. So Jonah knew who God was. He knew that God was the, the God of heaven who made the earth, who made the sea. He knew that and then he ran away to sea to get away from God. And we laugh at Jonah, but I do very similar things. Let's not just be people that know about God. Let's be people that know God. And let's not be people who want to receive God's mercy for ourselves. You know, the, God sends the fish and we leap into its mouth because that's better than drowning. But we want to withhold that mercy from others. I think those are some of the things that we're going to take away. As we, as we go through this story of Jonah, I really want our, our knowledge and understanding of God to grow but not just in an intellectual sense, because that's not going to change anything. So I want to invite you just over these weeks to come each week ready to learn about who God is. Ready to be entertained by this story, because it is actually, I think, a really funny story. But it's one that shows us who God is. So I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And I'm going to close and pray for us. Thank you, God, for your great mercy. Thank you that we see it in this story of Jonah. We see it in how you sent him to that evil city. 
We see it in how you rescued him. Thank you that something greater than Jonah is here. Thank you that, Jesus, you are more than a prophet. You're our saviour. You are God. And thank you that you didn't run from us. You're not passive, but you're active to save us. And you gave your life as a ransom for us. So Lord, as we turn now to worshipping you, I just pray that if there's anyone here who maybe has some wrong impressions of who you are, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to us. We know that you want to be known. Lord, we pray that you'd use your word over these coming weeks to shape our knowledge of you. We want to know you truly as you are. But we don't want to be like Jonah. We want to live that out. We want what we know in our heads to work itself out in the way that we live, in the way that we love others. And we need your help to do all of that, Lord. Amen.